We're in a series right now, just simply titled, Jesus Said Blessed. It's taken from Matthew chapter 5, what we commonly call the Beatitudes. And we are at verse 9. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, a lot of the time you can tell who somebody's kid is because there's certain facial expressions they make or there's certain mannerisms that they have or maybe it's the way they talk, maybe it's just the way they look or sometimes it's even the way they act, their behavior. And you know what? The world ought to be able to tell that we are a child of God and this is the characteristic that Jesus said will set us apart as the children of God, that we are peacemakers. I have to tell you, I think this is something that's not really talked about much in the church world today. In the religious culture of America, it just doesn't seem to be a hot topic peacemakers. But if there ever was a time when the world needed peacemakers, it's right now. There's so much conflict, just constant strife and division that everybody just seems to be more divided about anything and everything. Oh, how this old world needs peacemakers. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. You know, the world we live in right now, there are people that uh, they say, oh, well, we're all children of God. Listen, that might be politically correct to say, but it's not biblically correct. You know, that's kind of like everybody gets a trophy. Now listen, those that are born again are children of God. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not an exclusive thing. It's for everybody. The Bible says in John 1.12, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in His name. So it's available to everybody, but not everybody is a child of God. And we just need to know it's something special to be called the child of God. I think probably every person here today would identify themselves as a child of God. And I just want to encourage you, we also need to identify ourselves as a peacemaker. Now, if you identify more as a troublemaker, I just want you to understand you're not acting like you're part of the family. This is who we're supposed to be. Peacemakers. I think this is just kind of a shock to some people because it gets so wrapped up in all of this animosity. You know, there's a Christian version and all that, right? But hear me now. We're supposed to be peacemakers. Blessed. Blessed. You want to be blessed? Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. So many today in our world, they don't see... Christians as peacemakers, but as angry, argumentative religious people. And they call us hypocrites. And sometimes they're not wrong. Now, they shouldn't judge us all and lump us all together just because some are that way. No, we want to be the example of somebody who is a peacemaker, somebody who represents our Lord in this world. Peacemakers. I will tell you, our Heavenly Father, He is a peacemaker. You know, every parent has those moments when joy fills your heart and you say, that's my kid. That's my kid. 
I want you to understand that you see, when we are peacemakers, that's our Heavenly Father saying, that's my kid. Those are my children. That's my son. That's my daughter. What a wonderful thing it is for the Heavenly Father to say, he's mine. She's one of mine. Amen. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. What manner of love He's bestowed upon us. Another translation says lavished upon us. He's just poured out His love upon us to call us His children. Think about this. You are son or daughter of the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, the Sovereign Lord of the whole universe. He's your Father. You can be a peacemaker. He paid the price to make peace with us. He paid the price for our wrongs to have peace with us. Romans 5.1 tells us we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He also can bring peace between people. There's never been any two people groups that were more divided than the Jew and the Gentile. And yet Ephesians 2 tells us that He has made the two one in Christ. And it's amazing how when people come to know Jesus, really know Jesus, not the pretend version, but really know the Lord, they, they can have peace with anybody else that's part of the body of Christ. Well, there's no divisions in the body of Christ. That's not God. Christ cannot be divided. But I think sometimes people have the idea that being a peacemaker maybe is, uh, well, more for the weak. I mean, you know, they can't fight. But in reality, you've got to be strong to be a peacemaker. It's easy to fight. There's no intelligence required, no IQ required. I mean, they might not be good at it, but anybody can be in strife and conflict and fight with people. It's something altogether different to be able to be a peacemaker. The most powerful person in the universe, the sovereign Lord, He's a peacemaker. And that's who He wants us to be. The Bible says that He is the God of peace. It refers to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. In heaven, there is no strife. There's no conflict in heaven. There's absolute peace. In heaven. I mean, there was one one time who tried to stir up some rebellion, some conflict in heaven, and he got booted out real quick. His name was Lucifer. But in heaven, there is peace. I'm so glad when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any more conflict. There's just going to be peace. But even now, Jesus said the kingdom is within you. As a child of God, we're supposed to have that peace inside our heart, inside our life every day. And as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are advancing the kingdom of God in this world. We are advancing a kingdom of peace. Amen. Amen. We're supposed to be peacemakers. So how can we be a peacemaker? First of all and foremost, you got to pray. 
We can't be a peacemaker if we don't have peace. You first have to have peace yourself. And without receiving that peace from Jesus, there's just no way that you can even begin to be a peacemaker with anybody else. John 14 and 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you see, we receive that peace from Jesus. And if we really have that peace, then we can begin to be a peacemaker. But there are a lot of people, their, their hearts are troubled. They're afraid. They're, they're all upset about so many things. You need to pray. You need to pray through until you have peace. You know, in each situation or conflict in life, we need to pray. You see, you need to pray for that person that you're having conflict with. You need to pray about that situation. You need to pray that God will give you wisdom how to, how to handle the situation, what to do, what to say. You got to pray. Pray about it. It's amazing what God can do if we'll just pray. But one of the most powerful things that happens when we pray is that we get peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. See, the first thing that you do, if you want to be a peacemaker, you pray. You got conflict, you got a situation with somebody, you need to pray about it. And here's how much you need to pray about it until the peace comes. Listen, it's not a matter of talking God into doing something. It's a matter of you getting to the place where we where you really turn it over to God. That you can pray with thanksgiving as it says. You're praying with thanksgiving and the peace of God comes and it guards your heart and your mind. Oh, that's a wonderful place to be when you finally have that peace. And you see, when you've prayed through about that situation, then you're ready to deal with it in the right way and be a peacemaker. Because the peace that He gives, it's not dependent upon circumstance. It's not dependent upon other people. The world didn't give it to you. The world can't take it away. And you see, when you pray through, you get a peace that passes understanding. That you know it's going to be all right. Because you've, you've turned it over to your heavenly Father. Now you're ready to deal with that situation as a peacemaker. Or maybe God will tell you not to say anything. I'm just telling you, this is where you start. You start with prayer if you want to be a peacemaker. Second, to be a peacemaker, you need to always remember that we are in a spiritual battle. There is more than, than meets the eye. There is more to this than just that conflict that you see. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. Other people are not your true enemy. No, sometimes we, listen, we have to deal with other people. We have to deal with conflicts, but that's not where our real battle is. And we need to be aware of that. Listen, if you forget that, you'll find yourself being an instigator instead of a peacemaker. 
So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read 1 through 3. And this passage of Scripture, I tell you, if we'll take this to heart, I think it'll really change the way that we view conflicts with other people. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Anybody want to be a spiritual person? He says, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? First of all, I want to make the point to you that being a peacemaker is being a spiritual person. If we are in strife and conflict and division, he says we're being carnal. We're acting just like the world. You'll notice here at the end of it, he says, are you not acting, behaving like mere men? What does he mean by that? He means that we're acting like people who aren't even born again, mere men. We're not acting like the sons and daughters of God when we're in strife and conflict. You see, we need to realize that that is our old nature our new nature. We're a partaker of His divine nature. Our new nature is to be a peacemaker, not to be in strife and division and conflict. No, but acting like our Heavenly Father. It's amazing how sometimes people that are supposed to be spiritual will fight and argue. They're not spiritual. They're just being carnal. And sometimes... You know, we're even supposed to be peacemakers, even with unbelievers. Jesus was not adversarial with the lost. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read about Jesus' interactions with lost people, and you will see that He was not adversarial with them. This is all the rage in Christian culture today, that it's us against them. Jesus was never that way. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And guess what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to reach the lost. You can't reach them if you're adversarial with them. Now, Jesus never condoned what they did. We don't condone the sin of the lost but neither do we set ourselves in opposition and conflict and strife with them. You're not going to win anybody by being in a fight with them. There was an old guy I wanted to invite to church, and just, you know, he just was hard to deal with. But I knew that if I had any hope of getting this guy to church... I couldn't be at odds with him. And so I made every effort to win him over, went out of my way to be nice to him. Well, here's the thing. He still wouldn't come. But I knew that my conscience was clear, that I had done everything that I could. And you see, we can't fix everything. We can't solve every conflict. But we need to know that we have represented our Heavenly Father the way that we're supposed to. Not being adversarial with people. And amazingly, it's not just with the lost. Christians fight with one another all the time. 
It's not supposed to be that way. Why would we fight against our own brothers and sisters? That's not where our real battle is. It is just a trick of Satan to keep us from the real battle. I want to tell you that Jesus did speak boldly and in a confrontational way with the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. But I want to remind you, get you to think about this, that Jesus actually loved the Pharisees. They were not an exclusion to the love of God. Jesus actually loved those Pharisees. But he knew with their religious pride that the only thing that would get through to them is some shock therapy. The only way he was going to win some of them was to tear down some of that stronghold of pride. And there were some that came to believe in Jesus. But I I just want you to understand that with the loss, though, Jesus was not adversarial. And we just need to see this, that we're supposed to be peacemakers. I'm, I'm so thankful to pastor a church that has a lot of peacemakers. This is unusual. To have this many people come together and not have strife and conflict and backbiting and all of that stuff that goes on in so many churches, the Lord has really blessed us. I don't take that for granted. You don't take it for granted either. It is a blessing. This is the way that it's supposed to be in the body of Christ, that we love one another, we don't fight with one another, but we truly have the peace of God here. It's just such a rare thing. You know, there's so many jokes about churches fighting and quarreling with one another. One pastor came home one day and he hears his little five-year-old daughter and and her friends, they're all yelling at each other and calling each other names. And he goes in and he says, hey, what's going on in here? And his little girl looks up and says, we're just playing church, daddy. (laughs) It's not supposed to be that way. No, we're supposed to be peacemakers. We ought to be representing our Heavenly Father in this world, acting like Him. You know, there's a, a... word that's used in the Bible, like so many, I guess, it's not used very much anymore. It's the word abomination. That's just a really big, ugly word for something that disgusts the Lord, something that He absolutely cannot stand. And so, you know, the Bible says it's an abomination for a man to be with another man. And we all know that. We all understand that. But I want to put this in perspective as we go to Proverbs chapter 6. There are seven things that are listed as an abomination to the Lord. And here's the last one, Proverbs 6.19. One who sows discord among the brethren. You see, somehow we kind of put things like sowing discord as, oh, well, that's not a big deal. It is an abomination to God. He hates it. He can't stand it. He despises it. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the peacemaker. How does somebody sow discord? One of the things they do is they always magnify differences. You see, it doesn't matter how much we have in common, you can always find something to disagree on. 
And there's something about that old nature, that old sinful human nature, that seems to track down the one thing that we disagree on so we can hash it out. And a lot of times people part ways, part company. It's been the result of, or the, the, the cause of so many churches splitting. They found, this group found something they could disagree with this group about, and they had to split. Listen, we're washed in the same blood. We have the same Heavenly Father. We're filled with the same Spirit. We got a whole lot more in common than anything we could ever disagree about. But it's amazing how even church people can find things to disagree about. And the one that sows discord, they're always magnifying those things. Don't be one of those people. The one that sows discord... They always like to talk about controversial issues, always stirring the pot. I think sometimes we should talk about controversial issues, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't end in strife. We need to be wise about what we say and who we have those conversations with. People that sow discord always have something negative to say about something or somebody. They always have something negative. They're not building up, but they're always just bringing that negative thought that's sowing discord. You know, it's like a seed. They're just planting a little seed, a little negative seed here. about, And they're splitting people. They're dividing people. They're breaking up relationships. They're causing division. God hates it. But being a peacemaker is not just about not doing something. It is about... Being a peacemaker. You see, a peacemaker is not somebody that is just sitting back passive. A peacemaker is somebody that is pursuing peace. Psalm 34, 14 says, Seek peace and pursue it. That means we are intentional about it. We're deliberate about it. That it doesn't just happen by accident. We have to pursue it. To go after it. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, there are some times it's just not possible. There's going to be conflicts in this world. And we know that. But he says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. And a lot of the time, the conflicts, the strife that people get involved in, it has nothing or little to do with them serving God and living for God. And it has more to do with preference and opinion. And I just got to tell you, as much as it depends on you, see, your side of it, your part of the equation, live at peace with all men. That's being a peacemaker. Sometimes it's not easy. It takes effort. It takes humility. It takes denying yourself. It takes wisdom. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. To be a peacemaker, we need the wisdom of God. 
I mentioned it in prayer and talking about prayer, but I want to read James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. So many complicated situations in life. A lot of the time it's hard to know what to do, how to handle a situation. But God's wisdom is available to us if we will just ask. We just got to ask in faith and believe that God will give us wisdom. Read a story about an Indian sheep farmer. He had a big problem. His neighbor had dogs that would come over and attack his sheep. Now, he could have built big fences. He could have taken the man to court. But instead, he had this idea. He gave his neighbor, he gave his neighbor's kids some lambs. Well, it wasn't long until he kept his dogs fenced in. He no longer allowed them to roam the countryside. You see, a lot of the time, if we just had a little wisdom from God, we can solve a situation without a conflict. A lot of the time, if we just pray until God gave us direction about what to do, instead of just responding and reacting, but we prayed first, it's amazing how that wisdom can make such a difference. I know it's not always possible to have peace in this world. You're going to have conflicts. You can't, just always, you can't just be a pushover. You can't compromise on your convictions. But a lot of the time, the things that people get in strife over are not things that really make a difference in their convictions. It's just what's convenient for us or what we like or what we think is right. But we got to pray for God's wisdom. We need God's help. I had a neighbor one time who was mean to me, and I just felt like I should take him some vegetables from our garden. I still don't think he liked me. But it changed the way he acted toward me. It wasn't too long down the road, he, he brought me a bucket full of pears. Just saying, you never know what you might be, as much as depends on you. See, you can't control somebody else. But as much as depends on you, you live peaceably with all men. And how can you do that? Well, you got to pray. You need the wisdom of God. One elderly gentleman, he had retired. He lived in this quiet neighborhood, and he loved to sit out on his porch and just listen to the birds sing in the trees. And One day these kids started coming down the alley and beating on the trash cans. And they started doing this every day after school on their walk home from school. So the gentleman had a, an idea. See, sometimes you just need an idea. You need wisdom from God. He went out there and he said, Hey, you boys beating on the trash cans like that, that reminds me when I was young and I did things like that. It makes me feel young to hear y'all beating on the trash cans. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give y'all a dollar every day that y'all come by and beat on the trash cans. They said, All right. They thought that was awesome. They're going to get paid to beat on the trash cans. So he does this for several days, but after a few days, he tells them, now look, I, I can't keep paying y'all a dollar. I'm just, I'm a, I can only give you 50 cents now. They said, well, all right. We'll keep doing it then. 
A few more days go by and he cut it down to a quarter. A few more days go by. And finally he told them, he says, look, I'm not going to be able to pay y'all to beat on the trash cans anymore. They said, look, we're not going to come by here and beat on these trash cans for nothing. <laughs> it's not always that simple, is it? But as you know to our Heavenly Father, maybe it is just that simple. Maybe we just need the wisdom of God to know how to deal with what we think is such a difficult or impossible situation. We're praying for God's wisdom. Now when you talk about the wisdom of God, and James chapter 1 tells us to pray for the wisdom of God, but I want you to see James 3, 13 through 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness or gentleness. Gentleness of wisdom. Do you know there's a gentleness of wisdom? You see, it's not about our pride. It's not about just our intelligence. It's not about our strength. It's about the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, the King James says strife in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above... You don't get that kind of wisdom from heaven. It is earthly, sensual, demonic. Where there is envy and self-seeking or strife, there is confusion and every evil thing are there. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. We want to demand our rights. My way or the highway, willing to yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers sow peace, and it bears the fruit of righteousness. Strife, that will bring all kinds of trouble. The Bible says every evil. You see, we got to keep the strife out and be peacemakers. For to be a peacemaker, you have to be humble. Our Savior said... Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is no soul more troubled than the soul that is always in conflict with other people, always upset, always been out of shape. What a horrible place to be. Jesus says, Learn from me, as I am gentle and humble and you will find rest for your soul. Pride will always keep you from being a peacemaker. Proverbs 28, 25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. You see, if we just trust God instead of being proud, God is able to bless us. 
No matter what the situation is, he's bigger than whatever that situation is. But you know, so often when you're in conflict with another person, pride will cause you to think that you're right even when you're wrong. It's a little interesting thing to think about. Listen, when two people are arguing, they're both sure they're right. I mean, there's something weird if somebody knows they're wrong, but they're arguing anyway. You know what I'm saying? They, they both are just sure that they're right. Here's what I can tell you about this. At least one of them is wrong. Sometimes both of them are wrong. And so, here's a question you don't have to answer out loud, but, you know, between you and God, have you ever been wrong? Now, if you answered no, you got some real pride problems. But if you answered yes, well, here's the thing. Could it happen again? Well, no, once was enough, right? Yeah, it could happen again. You could be wrong. You say, oh, no, I might be wrong about some things, but not this thing. I'm just telling you, sometimes our pride becomes a huge blind spot where we can't see that we're wrong, but pride stirs up strife. A big reason that a lot of people can't ever, ever have peace together is because of pride. They can't let go of their pride. In fact, they'll even say, well, I still have my pride. Miserable. But they got their pride. I want you to know that the Bible never speaks of pride as being a good thing. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you got to know that you're not always right. Proverbs 13.10, pride from pride or by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. With the well-advised. You know, pride will keep you from listening because you're so sure. But sometimes we need to be willing to listen to wise counsel. Peace doesn't come through pride. It comes through humility and wisdom. I grew up as I've told you, watching John Wayne movies. And, uh, you know, he got peace with his fists and his guns. And there's something about that that appeals to our pride. I still watch those movies. I just focus that energy towards my true enemy. You understand what I'm saying? I I'm just telling you, we, we need to remember whose child we are. And our Heavenly Father... He does not work through pride. No, He works through humility and wisdom. Fifth, to be a peacemaker, need to keep the peace. Now, some people view that in a negative way, like that means that you're giving in to every situation. That is not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that with the wisdom of God, we are wise about not getting ourselves into a conflict that we didn't need to be. Proverbs 17, 14 says, The beginning of strife is like the releasing is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. It's like there's just a little trickle, but then the dam will break. How did it start? Just a little trickle. And sometimes, you know, we start into this little disagreement or conflict with somebody. And you know what? We could have avoided a big problem if we just 
had the right attitude from the very beginning. Just don't even start down that path. Conflict. You know how it almost always starts? Somebody said something. I mean, I know that sometimes there's passive-aggressive behavior and there were undercurrents and this and that, but when it really begins to break loose is when somebody says something. I find myself reading this verse of Scripture a lot lately. It's James 1.19. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. See, first he says, be swift to hear. You see, if you're going to avoid strife, if you're going to keep the peace, sometimes you need to listen. You need to listen to what the other person is saying. Remember this, they think they're right. But the next part is especially important. Be slow to speak. Don't just respond. Don't allow, you know, the mouth to engage or the mouth to speak before the brain engages. You, you know, you need to take a moment. In fact, not just to think about it, but maybe even to pray about it. If somebody's mad and upset, you need to stop and get some wisdom from God before you reply. So they're mad and angry. What are you going to do? Are you going to respond in kind? Are you going to escalate it and take it to the next level? Before you speak, you need to take a moment and ask your Heavenly Father what you should do. Be slow to speak. Don't turn up the heat. Instead, use the soft answer. Proverbs 15.1 a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If somebody's already mad and upset, the last thing you need to do is to respond with a harsh word. Instead, use a soft answer to turn away wrath. You know, we're talking about anger and wrath here. There's so many Christians that seem to be so angry. It seems like it's just a driving force in their life, and they always seem to have this righteous indignation, but it's very self-righteous. As I want you to know, our Heavenly Father, He's a peacemaker. James 1.20, the very next verse after James 1.19, He says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so you see, in our conversations with people, we can't allow wrath to enter in. It's not going to produce the righteousness of God. If you want to be a peacemaker, you can't let that anger control you. Six, to be a peacemaker, you need to avoid arguments. You need, to, as much as you can, you need to avoid arguments. I want you to know that there are a lot of the time that we just don't have to get in an argument. Now, if you can intelligently discuss something, maybe that might be okay, but I'm just telling you a lot of the time people, you know, they get this attitude where if some, every time somebody says something that's wrong, they think they got to correct it. That is a horrible job. I suggest to you that you retire from that immediately. You might feel like you're so important correcting everybody that's wrong. 
You will find yourself is at the top. It's lonely at the top. You ain't got no friends left. Just stop it right now. That's not your job. We should speak the truth in love to people to try to help people. But if we're just correcting people, you know, they said this. A lot of the time, it's not even about something important. We've got to correct everybody. Just avoid those arguments. Just make up your mind that you're not going to do that job anymore. People get on social media and they start having arguments with people, just foolish. I mean, displaying for the whole world your conflict and argument. Anybody got a scripture for that? I got one. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, he says, Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You see, he says, don't argue, but there's a time and a place. You see, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, there's a time and a place to bring correction and to help people to learn. Listen, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by Him to do His will. But you're not going to win those people. You're not going to help them just by having some argument with them. Avoid foolish arguments. And instead, you wait until the right opportunity that God might use you to help to instruct that person and restore them. Last, to be a peacemaker, we have to have faith. We need faith that our God is bigger than whatever that conflict might be. We need to have faith that our God is bigger than whoever that person or people might be. Our God is bigger than the wrongs that have been done to us. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. If we'll just have faith, I want to tell you, if we'll trust the Lord, then we will obey Him and do what He says. Because He says... Don't repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. And see, when we do that, we're trusting God. See, we don't have to fight and claw like the world. We can trust our Heavenly Father. I think a lot of people fight because of fear. They're afraid somebody's going to get the best of them. They're afraid that they're going to come out on the short end of the stick. And so they got to fight. They got to go at it, defend their rights. In Genesis, I read about a man named Abraham. We call him the father of faith. The Scripture calls him the friend of God. Abraham was a peacemaker. Abraham and his nephew Lot both prospered. They both had huge herds. They had lots of people working for them. There came a time, the Scripture tells us that Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen began to have strife. And so Abraham goes to Lot and he says, let's not have strife between us. Let's not have strife between our herdsmen. He said, here's the land before us. He says, you choose whichever part of the land you want and I'll take the rest of it. Lot chose what he thought was the best of the land. In fact, the Scripture says that it was so beautiful it looked like the garden of God. That's what Lot chose. 
Abraham let him have it. I want to tell you that I don't see that happening much in our world. Well, you're not taking the best. I want the best. We at least split it down the middle. That's only fair. I mean, I'm going to stand up for my, myself and my rights and what I want. Abraham had such faith in God, he knew that the plan and purpose of God would be fulfilled in his life no matter what Lot did. He was a peacemaker. He says, you choose whichever part you want. If you take the left, I'll take the right. You take the right, I'll take the left. And I want you to know, Abraham was blessed so much so that the Bible says that the whole world was blessed through Abraham. And we were. We are. But I also know that it didn't go so well for Lot. That the land that he chose led his family to nothing but heartache and to misery. I just want you to know you're going to be a peacemaker, you need to have that kind of faith like Abraham. That God is able. Doesn't matter how it looks. People see, may seem like people have taken advantage of you, getting the best of you. They're no match. They're no match for your God. You can afford to be a peacemaker. There is one who will fight for you. Be a peacemaker. You see, he says, those are mine. Those are my sons and my daughters, those peacemakers. We're reflecting, representing our Father in this world. Stand with me, we're going to pray.